Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've seen Fight Club. Yes, we've just come back from the electric cinema and we are revisiting Fight Club. Uh, it's 20 years old this year. 20 years. 1999, so we saw The Matrix a few months ago from yes. around the same time. Mm-hmm. Now Fight Club. I don't. Uh, there's no suggestion I've been able to find that this is a restoration or anything like that. They're just showing it. Yes. Just, it's, uh, the electric does this cinematic time machine, they call it which is um, what this is part of. Right. So yeah. earlier in the day, we saw The Blue Angel, which was its 90th anniversary, was it? it well, it, uh, 1930, so 89th it would be. Okay, yeah. But yeah, they're showing a couple of, class- <laughs> a couple of <laughs> classics, uh-huh. um, which again, you know, rather like The Matrix, weird to think of this as a, as a classic or an mm-hmm. old film, but it is. Um, it's 20 years old. 20 so, years old, yeah. which, you know, old enough to vote. So, you know, watching it again, I made me realise what an impact this film has had on me uh-huh. since I first saw it. Um, it's a film that, I, in some way, has been on my mind since I saw it. Hmm. Just, just somehow or other, and um, and I've constantly just been, even though I'm, I haven't watched it in a long time, constantly sort of in my head, been thinking about it or revisiting it or trying to think about what it means. And I talk mm. about it, with people sometimes, and. Um, so I first saw it when I was probably 14. My brother was actually interested in film before I was, so he would have been like 12. Mm. And our parents went out one evening and my brother got them to rent a fight club for us. Mm. Um, so we watched that and I thought, wow, this blew my fucking mind. I mean, mm. spoilers, I guess, coming up if you've never seen it, but the twist blew my mind completely. Mm. You know, I didn't see it coming and it just it changed my view on it. It was fantastic. Um, and I wouldn't say I got like obsessed with it, but I took an interest in things around it. So... It was this satire on on corporate America and what the world was like, and it kind of it made you think like, oh, here's something. Here's a film that was really making a statement about these sorts of things, um, and I um, and I also read the novel a little later that's based on by Chuck Palahniuk. It's mm. adapted. The screenplay is written by Jim Ulls. Um, I read a couple of his other novels first that I happened to see the Pride Club, um, and you know, like I say, it's a film that I've, that I've kind of thought about and rethought about for a long time. So. It, it's it's a satire, but I I don't think it's as much of a satire as it thinks it is. There's a tonal imbalance to what goes on in it. Uh-huh. I think it's kind of it's about a feminized America that's left white men with no with no identity, no no purpose. Mm. Um, and I think it's sort of satirising that but at the same time the the tone is one of isn't everything they're doing so cool isn't Tyler so cool because you're kind of in the narrator's headspace mm. the narrator doesn't have a name he's typically referred to as Jack mm. uh, because he talks about the uh, I am Jack's raging bile duct all that sort of thing those books that he finds mm. um, so you're in his headspace and in his headspace Tyler is his his ideal self image yes. Um so you do get these contradictions because it's about you have that fantastic scene in the middle where Tyler it addresses the members of Fight Club and says we were all raised to believe that we'd be movie guards and rock stars, mm. but we won't. Mm. But you're watching Brad Pitt going, "You are," <laughs> yes. you know, and he talks to Jared Leto who who was in the Mars Volta or something, whatever band he was in mm. at the time, you know, and uh, and you're going, "How much money are you making for this movie?" Mm. So there's this contradiction in it, central contradiction mm. that. 
is there. The film never entirely addresses, but it is. It, but it's it, it knows it's there. Mm. I think. Um, well, that might be one of the ironies in the way that it was received, because I do think it's meant to be, you know, s- satire and, um, you know, satire in the best sense that it's making fun of something, but it's also revealing something, right? But I actually kind of think that sociologically, when so the film came out and it wasn't a very big success, and really, I I just remember having arguments with people because I thought it was great. And kind of a lot of my friends didn't. And, you know, then kind of that was that until the film was released on um, video or maybe DVD by then. And then it kind of acquired a huge following. Mm. All kind of adolescent boys who I think, rather than seeing the satire, saw it as a kind of guide to life, really. Yeah, I, 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 I would be part of that. Not no. exactly, not exactly a guide to life, but um, you certainly, you know, when I was when I was that age, mm. you, you sort of looked at it. I looked at it and sort of went, "This is this is a film that's like telling me something new, mm. offering me a perspective that I feel I can relate to, and that sort of mm. thing." Um, that's yeah, I think that's like around about how I felt. I didn't go, I didn't go mad in that sense. I didn't like base my life on it, but <laughs> yeah. but like, well, I remember, I you know, the, like the the narration was cool. And things about it were cool, and the things that it said were cool, and the attitude that it had, and Tyler kind of not listening to authority and all that kind of stuff was cool. Mm. And I remember I, I even I copied bits of it for like English sort of work that I did, like creative writing. Well, uh-huh. it wasn't creative because I plagiarised bits of Fight Club. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but like, there's a reason that I plagiarised Fight Club and not something else, and not Sylvia Plath, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but tell me a little bit because you've read uh, the Chuck Palahniuk novel it's based on and mm. you said you've also kind of read other Palinuk novels so you know how does the novel inform the film but also how is the film distinct uh, it's a great question I don't, I don't remember the novel either because it's not actually one of, it's not my favourite of his the one I remember the best is Survivor which shares a lot of things but um, as I recall the ending of the novel is much more ambiguous mm. um, there's a suggestion that he ends up in a, in a sort of there's a suggestion that he dies, then he ends up in heaven, but you could also read it as him ending up in a mental institution, mm. things like that. Um, I must say, I remember it basically seeming like a faithful adaptation. Like, it, I don't think I read the novel coming away with a different perspective on the story than I did from the film. Mm. Um, and the film certainly remains my dominant, mm. you know, the, the version of the story that is dominant in my head. Okay. Um, so, um, what does the... Let me ask the question another way around. So, what does the film's audiovisual rendering kind of ad that wasn't there in the novel it, well what it what it adds is is tone i think like i say this tone of things being called which is there in the novel the novel's written as everything i've read of paul and is in um in the first person and the present tense so mm. it's ri- it's written as the narration and indeed the narration in the film pretty much comes wholesale from bits of the book mm. um so so that 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 kind of tired, cynical tone is shared, mm. um, but then, but you know, the, the the book doesn't have the use of music. It doesn't have the swooping camera moves. Mm. It doesn't have the visceral impact of the fighting and the blood. Mm. You know that you were sort of recoiling from at one or two points. Yes. Yeah, the bit and and there and actually there were bits that the BBFC cut um, when it first came out in this country. It cuts about six seconds. Mm. There's the bit in the fight with there's a bit in the fight with Angel Face 
where it just kind of blows to the head at the end were cut and in the fight with Lou similar thing blows to the head mm. at the end of that fight it just they just felt were too sort of visceral and they asked for those to be cut um, I think they were left uncut when it came out on video later mm. so I think we saw the uncut version mm. today um, so that that's that's kind of what that's what's stronger about the film um, the the kind of the feeling the, the emotional sort of the emotional investment and attachment and also um, Marla Mm. Marla, I mean, talk about. We've been talking about uh, entrances recently with Jennifer Lopez, and we mm. talked about Marlena Dietrich today. Well, talk about an entrance. Yes. The way that she's introduced. Cool, dark, interesting, captivating. Who is this person? The glasses on that, that she just completely make her eyes these voids. Smoke slowly kind of emanating from her mouth. The fur coat. Who is this? You mm. know, it's one of those things. I mean, Marla just is like it's the most desirable person in the world. She's absolutely beautiful, Helena Bonham Carter in this. Mm. The, the the makeup, the way that her lips and eyes are, are just slightly blue. Well, mm. her eyes more so, but suddenly her lips, like she's on the edge of death all the mm. time. You know, she has this. It's not not quite emo, but it's close. It's like emo punk sort of sort of dispossessed thing going on with her, and the fact that she, again, she's rather like Tyler. She's this free spirit who goes wherever she wants and doesn't care about anything really captivating mm. one of those I mean I, I didn't realise until watching it today like wow she is well, I ridiculously desirable I realised that from the appealing. beginning you know um, but, you know though I suppose I wouldn't have uh, articulated it as sexually desirable uh, um, but you know she's incredibly charismatic mm. you know and she definitely kind of makes an impact um and, and that charisma is really um, something to ponder because, you know, I think she's at least uh, uh, Brad Pitt's equal in a way that Edward Norton is not. You know, uh, uh, he, he doesn't have that charisma that the other two bring. Um, you know, and, she, and she's got a very kind of like particular look, the cheekbones, the thinness, you know, um, and the eyes, as you mentioned. It's kind of, you know, very, very striking. And she kind of brings you in, yeah, to kind of what can otherwise seem as a really, like, mm. um, weirdo, dangerous, kind of, you know, unappe unappealing or unattractive character. It could have been very easily rendered in that way, right? So, mm. but she magnetizes. Uh, but she's sure. also shot and sort of visually designed that way. I'm thinking particularly of the bit where uh, she calls uh, the house on Paper Street and uh, to, to announce that she's... Uh, taken a lethal overdose of pills, or what mm. she thinks might be a lethal overdose of Xanax, mm. um, and the way the way she's shot, the film cuts to her, and she, the, it's it's an almost top down shot, yeah. and she's on sort of lying through the frame, and it's close up, and it's smoky, and it's, it's in that blue dress, and she yeah. her eyes are looking up, and yeah. God, <laughs> wow. Well, there you, you know, go. The film the film sort of designs her, and the film shows you why the character desires her mm. too, and and and. and Maybe it's it's a failing I think of the film that it talks about. Maybe it's not a failing, but it talks about a feminized world and and this reaction to it. The characters talk about uh, we're we're a generation of men raised by women. They talk about mothers and, um, but she's the only female character in the film. Really, yes. you know, maybe apart from Chloe, the um the, the cancer patient, not really. Mm. Um, she's she she's the only she's the only female character. So. You know, I, that's it, it. It's probably not, it's not a it's not right to talk about it as a failing because it's it's doing something with it. It's doing something with. It's like they're incels, these guys, basically. Like, you know, they 
they talk about they talk about feminization they talk about how um, how men have become subservient and this sort of thing but actually they don't have anything to do with women and that's sort of why you know mm. though you know um Brad Speed's speech that they're all ready to feminize is his argument for not having more to do with women that they've had enough of women <laughs> Yeah. Well, the next step is to get married, but no, you've already been raised by women all your life mm. because your parents got divorced and blah blah blah. So, um, I mean, what strikes me about that whole thing is how prescient it seems now. Mm. You know, I mean, kind of this was twenty years ago, and that kind of you know semi-fascist groupings of men, kind of trying to redefine their masculinity and kind of overcompensating with kind of militaristic elements and also like you know, physical suffering and torture and, hmm. you know, military maneuvers and all that stuff is, you know, Trump. <laughs> it it, it paradises. So, you know, it starts off with um, Jack's obsession with support groups. Mm. He, he doesn't have any of these illnesses or, 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 or maladies, but he goes to testicular cancer support group. He goes to blood parasites. He goes to this, that and the other. He gets obsessed with them, with the kind of emotional opening up that it affords. Um, and... You know, although he doesn't ever tell the truth about himself, you still you see him cry. You know, mm. Bob with bitch tits pulls him in, mm. and he cries all over him. Um, and then Fight Club is a new support group. Mm. It says like this is the masculine version of a support group. It's mm. one where men get together and beat each other up, and you can. And so it paradises kind of what these men are doing, mm. but you also see the appeal. You get why you you kind of, you feel their release. I think you do actually it's very interesting because you know this thing about men and violence and so on like you know it's kind of always seen as kind of negative uh, and I suppose you know maybe it is but I remember there's this wonderful uh, uh, film with Yves Montand and Romy Schneider and so Romy Schneider falls in love with this kind of working class man who's crazy about her uh and, you know, there's one moment where, you know, he's got her in his arm. He's just, you know, completed a business deal. And he says, I'm so happy. I just feel like beating somebody up. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> you know? And, and actually, you, there's this thing about kind of, I don't know, men and release and, you know, kind of... I mean, I, I remember also talking to this cab driver in Cuba. You know, and he was asking about England. And I was saying, oh, you know, like sometimes it's so violent. It's like... You know, on a Saturday night, kind of young men, they, they get drunk and they just beat each other up. And he goes, well, you know, what would it be to be a young man if you didn't want to beat each other up? Right? Mm. Like, you know, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I haven't formulated thoughts there, but those are kind of anecdotes, right? In the sense that, you know, kind of that there is maybe something, I don't know, primal there. Or Is it um, Cezanne Rosalie? Yes, it is Cezanne Rosalie. Cezanne Rosalie. Um, in, at the start of at the... Start of the, the um, when the flat's been blown up and Jack rings Tyler and they go to the bar and then he says, I want you to hit me in the face mm. and they start fighting, you feel that as a bonding yes. moment between the two of them. Yes. Really strongly, mm. actually, weirdly. Like, it's funny because it's funny kind of watching it back and and remembering all of these bits and not being able to remember how I felt watching them the first time in a way mm. you know like I wish I could remember how I took it the first time mm. well I mean what I remember from the I saw it in Newcastle right you know and, and I think I was there to give a talk and I was I was just, just killing some time so I just kind of 
I mean, obviously I'd heard about it and so on. Um, but uh, what I remember thinking was how imaginative the whole narration thing was, you know, particularly at the beginning. I mean, I was completely dazzled by all those camera moves from Ikea through the furniture, mm. through, you know, going in and out of like kind of imagery, you know, uh, and kind of different consumer spaces that the film does at the beginning. I mean, that, you know, maybe now on a computer you can do that easily, but then it seemed completely dazzling. It was very, very new. Um, photogrammetry is the name of the technique, mm. or at least one of the techniques that they use. There's that pan across the Ikea space that, that it's empty and it fills up mm. with the labels and the price tags, and it's just in one take, and then he kind of walks through it, yeah. walking through his own little catalogue, and there's that shot that struck me really this time of the um, pull-out of all the rubbish in the bin, mm. and it's like there's a Krispy yes. Kreme, there's a Starbucks, and they've that. all got yes. the logos on them, and then you come out and it's a shot of a trash bin. Yeah. 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 No, I thought I thought that all of that was kind of amazing, really. Um, what do you think of Frederick Norton? I think he's fantastic, and I think he kind of, I think, I think, I think he, he ties the entire film together. Like, the film needs this tired, cynical tone on top of everything. That's kind of, and also he's narrating from a position of knowing everything that's happened. Um, so he kind of he knows how things are going to turn out. So I suppose that, that that cynicism is kind of shared between he's cynical about the world that he inhabited. You kind of understand through him why why it was so appealing to mm. you know break out of the corporate blah blah blah. But um, but it's but he's also cynical, I suppose, about what Fight Club became. And how the men ended up behaving, you know. I think um, I like him, and I think he's very good in it. The reason why I was asking the question was um, because I understand that Matt Damon was in the running for that part. All right. You know, and I just wondered what another movie star, you know, uh, would have brought to it. Yeah, because in a way, I do think that. Um, and it's part of the narrative, it's not his fault, but you're never kind of really drawn into his dilemma. You know, I never felt kind of, I empathize with what his problem is. And actually, I think that's a weakness in the film. You know, so as an actor, he does a fabulous job. I love the way he walks. You know, he definitely has, you know, a nerdy everyman kind of quality, you know, to him. Um, but I don't think he draws you in emotionally. You know, the way that I think... Helena Bonham Carter and Brad Pitt in a way do like they represent what they represent so instantaneously I think he does as well he just represents something a lot more dour you know he couldn't he couldn't be bursting with charisma in the same way because that's just that's not the character I think I, mean, I can't I mean I can't imagine Matt Damon doing the role mm. um, you know I can't imagine anyone but Ed Norton doing the role I think he makes it his own it feels like it's written for him the way mm. he plays it and I, you know I don't quite agree that you that you that you I mean you say you don't you don't get into his you don't feel the attachment to his dilemma or his problem. What yes. what problem do you mean? Is his well, insomnia? I mean, you know, maybe that that's also a problem with the film because you take you take a little while discovering it, right? So you know, and he doesn't give answers, so he's unsatisfied with his life. He doesn't know kind of you know what to change it into. He can't answer that question, mm. you know, and kind of you know, and all we see at the end 
is he still hasn't answered that question uh, and he shot himself and kind of you know buildings about him begin to fall down right so but, he, but he's he's he finally connects with Marla um, right at the very end they share they share something you know you think what's the world going to be after this because all these buildings are coming down and the collapse of society but he's got Marla he's I, with Marla now they're going to be honest He's going to be able to. He's you know, and and having got rid of some other. But I think I agree that that you know it's he doesn't answer questions about what he wants because I think he he's representing a generation that doesn't know what it wants. He represent mm. he's part of this generation X that is like the slacker generation, the generation that gets caught in between. But his be- uh, his unconscious is driving him to create crypto fascist groups, right? So yeah. I mean, what does that tell you about? him and he's very efficient at organizing them and very successful at organizing them yeah Tyler's brilliant at that so it's it's a better self I guess it's a it's a search for 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 masculinity and masculine symbols and 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 it's it's kind of connected to such aggression initially through Fight Club and eventually through like organized terrorism that you know it's it's sort of um like it couldn't be anything but that. That's what he's missing in his life, and then taken to a kind of nth degree. Mm. This is what it becomes, and everyone else. And it's sort of. And I think again, it kind of it talks about a generation because everyone who becomes part of Fight Club, part of Project Mayhem, shares this. This is like the film's talking about. This is what's missing in their life, and they express it very stupidly, and and sort of you know badly. Um, I I. It's not like realistic. I but. think it's part of the problem with the film. To me, um, you know that that rising crypto fascism is um, is not directly attributed to him, you know, as a kind of a skill or a desire, or you know, and maybe you know we don't mm. know kind of where it comes from, and also the fact something when you're watching the film, I enjoyed that it was almost all played for laughs, right? So he shows up at a police station, they wink at him, or a bar, they wink at mm. him. They're everywhere, is the thing. But actually, I think that's kind of... It, w- it would have been so much more interesting had they made that more terrorizing. Rather well, than I mean, they try and cut his balls off. Even that's played a little bit for laughs. Were you- a little bit, but, um, but I mean, you still, it, it, this, it, it's still, um, you know, he's sort of... Having having returned to being Jack as opposed to Tyler, he's completely in over his head now, and he's like things have been set up for him to lose. He's gonna yeah. okay, but I, I don't know if you're understanding me because okay. I just think you know that this being enmeshed in a kind of a crypto fascist relations mm. with people who just want to beat people up and destroy things should be a very scary thing, mm. and it's well, not I presented think, in that manner. I think that that goes to the tonal issue that I have with the film that, that I don't think it, I don't think I'd like need it to moralize. You know, I think it's like, it can leave you up, leave you to make your own decisions about, about what it's presenting. But, um, you know, you are left going, this is, these guys are cool. And this, the stuff that's going on is cool. And it looks so cool. And they behave so cool. Mm. And they're, and they're, you know, you don't, you don't exactly feel what they're fighting for, partly because it's not that well defined until you get to, um, we're going to tear down civilization and start from scratch. And again, you kind of feel, wow, that's cool, you know, mm. in a in a sort of general way. Start from scratch, yeah, fuck the system, sort mm. of, you know. Um, Which is but, exactly what all those kind of, you know, 
kids who go on to a high school and shoot 500 people probably feel like well I mean, I mean you know maybe Edward Norton is like the original <laughs> yeah he kind of, like he, he sort of is I mean maybe not the original I think this is when 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 was um when was the Columbine shooting that was 1999 I think was it? So about then um which is not to say like this must have inspired it but you know it's sort of it was represent mm. it, if representing a feeling but you know like I said I mentioned incels before incel wasn't the words until about four years ago I know but you know? I, I certainly and, had never come across it so um so you know it's that it, it definitely relates to a kind of continuing uh sort of feeling that people who people who I don't know should know better still feel but like you know people who are, people who have more people who have more power than they think or mm. people who have more, you know and I suppose that is what privilege speaks mm. of having kind of more power than you think mm. um and you know there's a reason that like school shooters are white guys mm. middle class a lot of the time you know it's sort of that people who People who feel like people who are like have been dealt a pretty all right hand and feel like it's a lot worse than it. They feel like why aren't I at the top? Why don't I feel like I'm at the top? Mm. Sort of thing. And then I think puberty sort of sort of accelerates that. Mm. Um, yeah, but there's a there's a reason that I don't think I've heard of a single girl doing a school shooting. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, no, I think there there is something in that. Um, I think the film is very much well. The whole thing is about you know what is it to be a man, right? Mm. And kind of um, and the film's perceived distinction between what Brad Pitt represents and what Edward Norton represents, mm. which, you know, kind of... Um, it's difficult to see how what Edward Norton represents is so bad, you know? I mean, he's also very fit. He's also quite good-looking. He's got a good job, right? Yeah, but he doesn't think that, though. That's the thing. It's like yeah. image and reality. And I know. what he wants is, is, yeah, Brad Pitt. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is completely understandable, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and not a little homoerotic. Um, well, I suppose kind of people project those things. I mean, actually, to, 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 to be fair, I thought his body was on display much more than it turned out, than turned out to be the case. You know, I Brad think, Pitt. Yeah. Right. You know, I think, uh, you know, those... Those moments where he's shirtless with that amazing kind of, you know, chest. I mean, I think you see it, what, twice, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you know... His shirt's open. I mean, I, I, His shirt's open, and of course he's got, like, fabulous arms and biceps and all of that. But in terms of, like... Full-on yeah, sweaty fight mode Brad Pitt you see once or twice. Yeah, it's in terms of the camera kind of look at this, you know, mm. body... It's actually I, I remembered it as being much more, right. you know, than it turned out to be. Actually, I think you it's know. definitely a camera that admires his physique, though, his and that physique. uses it, right? Mm. And you know, the clothes and so on are designed for that. There's always like a bit of butt showing, and you know, the shirt is unbuttoned, the last button is un unbuttoned. So there are kind of you know mm. little moments like that. But you know, in terms of like, there isn't the equivalent of a Telman Louise moment, right, where he's just in bed with a shirt off and mm. you're asked to admire, like, you know, his, his abs or whatever, right? I, I, uh, mm. but, was, but what you are, but I think you are still meant to find him attractive. It's not like you're meant to, it's not like he's... Well, he, you're meant to find him the most attractive because he is, you know, the, ideal, the alter ego, yeah. right, the ideal ego. But, the, but I mean, attractive as opposed to, or at least or in, in combination with um, 
uh, like physically powerful mm. that sort of thing like mm. he is physically powerful and there's one or two shots of him when he's fighting and kind of covered in sweat and blood that he he looks physically intimidating but he looks beautiful yes he's shot to look beautiful yes and and he's dressed to look beautiful and all that mm. sort of thing yeah 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 um, now there is that so the camera desires him I mean um, yes uh, well it's an interesting thing really because if I were to say like you know so, what, you're talking about homoeroticism, and I think yes, the the, the the film gives gay men lots to work with, <laughs> you know. But on the other hand, I was also surprised at how the film is not like that. Yeah. So, for example, I think in a way it's a very heterosexual look at men, mm. right? So you know, there's that moment where they shave. The guy's head, the guy should be, yeah. Mm. And actually, you know, he's there all hairy and, you know, kind of, you can't see his body for the hair, right? Kind mm. of, I think a, a more kind of gay aesthetic of the period would have at least shaved him and oiled him up so that, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't mean that, but maybe the film is like latently gay. Uh, well, I just think, no, I mean, I'm being kind of, I'm being glib, but, um, but I, what I mean is that sort of, if the film reflects sort of Jack's mental state, what he sees, you know, what he what he wants, yes. is something like Tyler. Then, yes. then it's not it's not to say the character is gay and oh, I found a new kind of oh, I found a secret thing to like. That's not what I'm saying, but it's interesting that I think you know he more than more than powerful and intimidating. Brad Pitt's attractive, I think. Yes, um, but also, but it is more than that. He's attractive. He says. You know, he's he's attractive, he's stronger, he's good in bed, he's smarter, mm. yeah, he's kinda of more daring, right? It is all the things that yeah. Edward Norton wants to be but thinks he isn't. You know. Yeah, daring is, is yeah. um so so and and of course you could say, Well that's very narcissistic also. Yeah, that's kind of this is how he pictures, you know, his ideal self. Because you could argue and let me argue for the sake of argument, you can tear it down. But, you know, a kind of a heterosexual might have, you know, said, okay, I want, like, uh, you know, to, I, want, I want to be strong or I want to be, you know, powerful or something. But that actually, you know, uh, that kind of pretty face look might not have been an ideal self-ego thing. <laughs> How do you mean? What, what would have been a better... Um, I mean, I just kind of assume that, you know, other heterosexual men don't think... You know about uh, the you know uh, an an ideal projection of themselves or an ideal someone else that they want to be to have like pretty eyes and a full lower lip, <laughs> you know, and so yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like the difference yeah. between I don't know, kind because sometimes when you know when when men talk about other men's bodies, they'll go, "Oof, he's so big" or something. Yeah, kind of. Mm. They won't say he's got beautiful lips. <laughs> yeah, but they might want to. Ah, I that's think what I, you I think yeah I think underneath it all I think, well, I think you know better yeah. I defer to your no, superior knowledge in this matter <laughs> you know maybe I'm just revealing things about myself that I don't mean to but I think we're all we're all you know we don't have, we don't have to ride the horses to go into the stable for that way. <laughs> but I think like but but to to even deny that like we even know where the stable is is lying mm. you know I think we know what what we what we think is attractive because then because you know when 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 guys work out when guys have you know beauty regiments whatever they may be you know we we still kind of know what we want to look like 
Yeah, but it's interesting because if you think of like the top movie stars of the period, like you know people that uh, you know both you know men and women liked, or or even worse, if you think of the you know the 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 ones that men particularly liked. Um, you know, prettiness wasn't a criteria. I mean, some of them were pretty, like Gary Cooper or whatever. But then you have people like Clark Gable and so on who are not, you know, normally pretty, or Spencer Tracy, or, you know, there's a whole bunch of... Or Edward G. Robinson, right? Mm -hmm. Like, kind of, you know. So, um, but anyway, I don't know. Maybe, mm. yeah, like maybe it's just my own kind of stereotype. I don't know. Brad Pitt's definitely pretty. My God, yeah, I mean, you, you've you've said pretty. before that you couldn't even take him seriously when he was younger because he was so beautiful. He was, but also he was very bad. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you see his performance, which he got nominated for an Oscar for, but is it Seven Monkeys or something like that, or Nine Twelve Monkeys, monkeys. <laughs> or Twelve Monkeys? <laughs> a lot of monkeys. Seven or nine. <laughs> I mean, he is so incredibly over the top and mannered. And Did you say he was Oscar nominated for that? He was Oscar nominated for that. Really. Yeah, and he's completely OTT in it, you know. Uh, and I, and, and I, I remember finding it embarrassing to watch. Um, but, you know, he was he was giving a performance, uh, so he got nominated. Yeah, Best Supporting Actor. Didn't know that. I thought his first was uh, Benjamin Button, ten years ago. Well, it might have been his first as a leading actor. But that was his first as a leading actor, yeah. Um, um, he's had a few since then. Moneyball. Actually, that's the only one he's had for actor. He's been in Best Picture nominees. Yes. I mean, you know, the thing about Brad Pitt is I think there's very few of contemporary stars or even, you know, of his generation who have the filmography that he has. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, he's been in both a lot of landmark films and then a lot of cult films like this, you know, a lot of kind of films that afterwards seem to matter. I mean, in fact, I would argue that he's had much fewer big box office successes, you know, mm. than other stars of his generation. You know, it's like somebody like DiCaprio, they're all hits, like one after the other after the other, and, and mammoth hits, or, you know, Tom Cruise, the same, right? But just compare Tom Cruise's filmography to Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is full of such interesting films, right? You know? Yeah. Um, well, when Brad Pitt was being kind of positioned in sort of the early, mid-2000s, as the kind of premier box office star, the films did, weren't any good. Were they like the Mexican, and Ooh, the Mexican was it Troy terrible. he was in or Alexander, uh, one of those. Well, I actually I think that's underrated, and you know, um, I I like that uh, Alexander Spy Game, film. Ocean's Eleven. Um, be fair to him, he was fantastic in that. Mister Mrs Smith, I liked an awful lot. Me too, uh, but there's more. Let me just kind of dig it up. Brad Pitt films that I think, you know, have a certain value that kind of people will come back to. So, uh, we just saw Ad Astra. I think that will be one. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that will be one. Um, the Big Short, Fury, uh, 12 Years a Slave, um, Killing Them Softly, mm. uh, Moneyball, The Tree of Life, my God, you know. Um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, uh, Benjamin Button, uh, The Assassination of Jesse James. Uh, then, you know, less interesting to me, but I think it, will, it has an afterlife, Babel, you know. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, 
The Oceans films, I think they'll just be popular for a long time on mm. television. Uh, Snatch, uh, Fight Club. Uh, it's interesting, Seven Years in Tibet, which is terrible, is cited in, in this film. Um, so Seven, I think, is mm. going to have you know, a long life. Likewise, I love True Romance. I think it's still uh, really underrated. And then there are oddities like Johnny Suede and Cool World, you know, that again, you know, have con they're, they're still out there circulating. Uh, and of course, Tom and Louise. So, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting filmography, right? Mm. Um, so... Uh, interview with the Vampire as well. An interview with the Vampire, yes. That one, he, I mean, the look, the look of him and Tom Cruise and that sort of defined the sexual dreams of a generation. And Antonio Banderas, mm. you know, and River Phoenix. Was it? Hmm. Um, or was it? Or did what's his name replace him? No, I can't remember. Um, um, Christian Slater. Christian Slater. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway, but to go back uh, to uh, Fight Club, any um, uh, uh, last observations? Well, you know, it's it's sort of. I feel like we've barely really scratched the surface. We've got, you know, obviously it has. We've got the general themes, masculinity, the modern world, kind of men's feeling on their position in the world, privilege, this sort of thing. Things that it was, I agree, um, prescient about. Things that have kind of become, not prescient, but that things that have become more part of a kind of cultural conversation than they mm. were at the time of its release. Mm. You know, it's a film that sort of very much, very much lasts sort of in that respect. And, you know, you kind of feel like... Um, Maybe I wish it would be clearer in some respects about what it's saying, but then if it were, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting a film, mm. and it wouldn't be nearly as, in, nearly as interesting to think about. And so, and to so to kind of constantly have it in my head over these years about what does it mean, and what is it telling me, and who is it addressing, and how, and is it satire, and or is it not? Does it mean what it says? All this sort of thing. I I, I don't think I'll ever really get to the bottom. Mm. Of of that, it's, it's, I think it's a film which, maybe depending on your mood, sort of mm. offers a different interpretation. Mm. Um, it's still so funny. <laughs> I didn't realise it was funny until the second time I watched it. I remember that mm. watched it the first time with my brother, and I was just I thought, wow, God, I've never seen anything so like it. Ah, and then the second time I watched it was with friends, and that thing of when you watch something with a group of people. Yes, it becomes funnier. Yeah. Realise how funny it was the second time. It's kind of darkly funny and and like the jokes in the background and things and, and just things that actually are plain funny that I in, paid attention to the first time, like the dildo bit. Mm. It's just a great joke. Yes, you know and the guy's performance is great, um, and and it moves so smoothly. I mean, it's interesting thinking about how how Fincher has changed as a, as a director since then because watching Mindhunter recently, the second se season. Mm. You go. This is just. This is so restrained mm. and calm, and you know he just he sparse in some respects, and mm. I don't mean that in a negative way. But just like the the frame is just populated with sort of only what it needs to be populated with. Yes. And um, and mind it, you, I, it's also television, and there are fewer resources. Sure. Well, okay, but used to. It, but then maybe something like um, the Social Network. Um, still doesn't doesn't do the sort of doesn't take the it's it's 
might be too much to say it doesn't take the kind of creative visual leaps that Fight Club does, but it doesn't have anything like um, like the photogrammetry, like the moving camera, things like that. The things that he was doing into, you know, kind of Panic Room, the camera that roams through the house. Yes. But, he, but even when you look at... You, Panic Room was, what, 2002, maybe? Mm. Um, you look at the difference that three years made and how it, it's those shots really show off here. Yes. And, and in Panic Room, they're quiet and insidious mm. and sort and subtle despite the fact that it's a CGI shot that moves throughout an entire house in one go sort of thing like yes a, I mean again I just wonder if it's like it's like he's refined his technique over the years do you think that's the case with Gone Girl which is his most recent yeah mm. yeah I mean that's actually a much better example than The Social Network and a bit later and that's much more like Mindhunter mm. I think where it's it, he sort of there are things like the the, the movement of an eyebrow, you know, the timing of the movement of someone's head, something like that. Like they mean they they, the meaning of that sort of thing is amplified so much mm. in what Fincher does more recently. I think you know it's not the kind of thing he was doing back in the days of Seven and Fight Club. Mm. So you think this is another? This is a film that will have another re-release in twenty years' time. I see it coming back time and again. I mean, you were saying. Um, you know, it, it got very poor reviews at the time. It didn't um, get poor, but they were reviews, very mixed. Yeah, really, really mixed reviews and very polarized uh, opinion. Um, and it didn't do as well as, as the box office. It was a flop. Yeah, so it made a hundred million dollars, roughly, and a budget of sixty million. I think it was million. more like, well, maybe internationally it made a hundred, but I think okay. you know, at home it was something like uh, thirty odds. Didn't it, do it very really well. Really flopped. And yeah, and it, and, it, and you know, it's a it's. Um, It's a sort of archetypal cult film. Came out on DVD and video, and as you say, teenage boys took to it like moths to a flame. Yes, I mean, I think it's, it might be the defining cult film of that period. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, again, certainly with men. Yeah. Um, so, so, f- yeah. For myself, I must say. You know, I saw it a couple of times when it came out. I think I might have even, you know, put it on a syllabus one year. I did think kind of all the stuff about narration and the visual, the visuals I found fascinating. Um, but it's not something that, you know, for my, I suppose my personality or who I am, it doesn't draw me in. I really don't care very much about those concerns. Mm. You know, so I'm a bit kind of, it's not a film that um, that I've revisited very much since. Uh, and though I saw it again, and I kind of... Well, I felt kind of a little bit the way that I did then. You know, I kind of... I, I really appreciated a lot of elements about it, some even more than I did before. But it's still a film that keeps me at a distance. You know, all of those concerns with what being a man is and fighting and <laughs> it's been of no interest to me whatsoever all my life and <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. going to become one now <laughs> I'm just I'm just seeing if I can get more information on its on its box office because um, uh, that 100 million figure is very reductive and doesn't, doesn't actually give any detail um, against its production budget of 63 million dollars the film grossed 37 million from its theatrical run in the US and Canada and 100 million worldwide all right um, so, so very underwhelming uh, in the in the US. Yeah, well, in the US, a flop. There's no other way of putting it mm. because, you know, kind of 
um, I think the rule of thumb used to be, it probably isn't that like that anymore, but with DVD and so on, is that if a film made its cost, not including um, marketing and advertising, mm. um, you know, then then it, it it would turn a profit. So I would, if it cost sixty nine million, it would have caught, it would have had to, you know, uh, uh, gross that amount in the U.S. box office to make it. You know, there was a comedian deal. called Patrice O'Neill who was a big fat black guy who was great. He died of diabetes, I think, about 10, 10 years ago. And he used to go on the Opie and Anthony show in America a lot. And he talked about Fight Club. And it's a fantastic clip on YouTube where he talks about, he says that every black audience shouldn't, should, like black people need to see Fight Club to understand white people. He said, like, I got into the film. <laughs> wow. It's, it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Like, he says, I got into the cinema and I real, I thought, like, I'm, I'm seeing something that I shouldn't be allowed to see. Mm. I'm not supposed to see. Like, this is like the apex of something white. Yes. It's kind of well, interesting. And I think that's true of whiteness and straightness yes because one of the things that you don't see in the film in all of the men in the fight club is black men yeah there's maybe two i don't remember any of them i definitely remember one or two but they're like the chef who nods at the end um, the main chef the head okay chef but in the black. fight scenes, I, I, no, there is one or two really? in the fight scene, but not, not not actually fighting i don't think um. you see them in the crowd um but yeah, it's extremely white. Yes, you know. Uh, um, so no, I get that comment. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you get a chance to see it, do. Uh, it remains as interesting as ever, and arguably as problematic as ever. Um, so um, I, I, I'm very glad I went to see it. It might, it may be, some, maybe a little bit like um, Starship Troopers in the sense that it's problematic because it gets you into the head of problematic hmm. sort of people and attitudes you know mm. without necessarily endorsing them mm. but it helps you understand them that's why you have these questions about who is it talking to and what does it mean and how satirical is it and does it mean what it says and all that sort of thing which I think Star- I think Starship Troopers does more deliberately I think it kind of Starship Troopers is about propaganda and, and, it, it, and it shows you how propaganda works by using it on you mm. which I think it's, it's, which is a fan it's a fantastic film that but I think Fight Club maybe meaning to a little bit less mm. does something similar it gets you into the heads of these people and you and you feel what they feel I think mm. and the fact that what they feel um, is not entirely positive or leads to um, problematic things is why it's why it's on your mind for so long and why why I've returned to it time and again that's all thing Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies. And we are on... (laughs) iTunes, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. At eavesdropmovies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Get out of my face. Exactly. How are you doing? It's Tyler Durden. <laughs> so what would Tyler do? Because it's all tough and stuff. He's got the soap. He's Project, looking. Project Mayhem. Project Mayhem. <laughs> and, and that movie is such a heroic movie. Two guys who are lame. It's a lame oh, guy hero wow. movie. You know what, Patrice? I, dude, let me tell you something. Props. I know. That, look at. I, I'm willing to take this pressure. Mm-hmm. I saw that movie, mm-hmm. and when I saw it, the first thing I hit, I I I, I leaned back, crossed my arms. I saw the whole thing. I said, 
this did nothing for me, but I think I've run into the holy grail of something white. Like, I think I, I saw some shit that I didn't supposed to see. It's self-hate, guilt, the the burden of white guys who can't be men. Wow, you know, I'm telling you the that burden it, of, of having to keep up with the Joneses, as they say, and, and the burden of dishonesty, the mm-hmm. burden of having to go to work and say blah, blah, blah. And so when I say weak, I don't mean like, but it's like. It's this. I understand what Patrice is saying. It's a dream movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm dreaming. I'm a better man movie. Right. That's right. what Tyler Durden is. Paula. <laughs> I, I agree with He's you. He's an imaginary better me. Yeah. I agree with hey, you. Uh, You're right. You weren't supposed to see that, by the way. No. How the fuck did you get in? Dude, I, and one day <laughs> I said, let me watch Fight Club because it's like, man, and I'm like, wait a minute. In the middle of it, why did wait a why minute. Why is turning into I'm gonna destroy the world and then we find out Tyler Durden is da 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 I go I go I sat there and watched the credits <laughs> and I said something happened. I this Revelation. means nothing to me, but I this is this is absolutely whiteness. It's the scarface of white people, man. <laughs> <laughs>